Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm Lane Nordland, and I hope everyone had a great time celebrating 246 years of the United States of America, celebrating the 4th of July. That also means celebrating 246 years of American agriculture. And over those 246 years, Farmers and ranchers have worked to provide food and fiber to feed and clothe not only our nation, but the world. And to have a sustainable future in agriculture, a collaboration between not only livestock producers, but crop producers is vital. And today we're going to focus on a very dynamic duo, that being cattle and corn. The National Corn Growers Association is a great partner of the NCBA, and you may not know this, but the National Corn Growers Association sponsors the Cattlemen's Education Series, which is a grant program that extends to state and breed affiliates. And the two organizations have collaborated a lot on the topic of sustainability as it relates to the cattle feeding sector. Now, we all know that cattle feed is one of the largest uses of corn here in the United States, and just like like NCBA members, National Corn Growers Association members have made conservation and sustainability a top priority. Our guest today will be president of the NCBA, calling in from Minnesota, Mr. Don Schiefelbein, and uh, from just south of Yuma, Colorado, Troy Schneider, who's chairman of the market development team for the National Corn Growers Association, joins us. And uh, first off, Troy, welcome to the podcast. How are things looking in, in your neck of the woods there in Colorado? Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here with you today in Colorado, in east central Colorado, where I'm from. Um, we could sure use a drink of water right now. It's been very dry. Um, the corn is short. Uh, we always joke about knee high by the 4th of July and it's going to have to get with it to get to be knee high by the 4th of July. Uh, wheat crop is coming on quick and the grass, we've had some beneficial rain this spring and the, the sandhill grass came on good. Uh, for now, I think the, all the cattle producers are holding on. We run our operation on a, on a irrigated grass system and it is it's lush but it's short so it um it needs some time there well again hopefully uh, more moisture can come but uh yeah it was kind of a bummer on cool season grasses uh, here early in the growing season uh, especially for for hay fields but uh, uh where there is moisture grass is looking good and and for those wheat fields that get grazed or just uh in general for feedlots to be able to put up that feed and uh, don schiefelbein uh, joins us don it looks like you're actually home this week uh how, how has the summer been treating you as uh, you hit the uh, convention trail here in the summer 2022 well i've been across the entire united states coast to coast and uh, i'm pleased to say sentiments are getting better and better you know it, it helps when calf prices improve as you mentioned there's some people going through some very trying times with droughts formerly blizzards etc but by and large the calf price seems to make everybody's uh, feelings be a lot better we still talk about uh, lots of issues as you know and of course there's concerns with government overreach like the securities exchange commission's latest uh, move but uh, all in all spirits are up and uh, people are encouraged by our industry going in the right direction well and of course we talk a lot about sustainability and that ties into economic sustainability, 
natural resources sustainability. And it's truly that buzzword that uh, consumers uh, uh, really uh, are interested in when they're making those important decisions at the grocery store. And, and Don, I, I know you and I have talked about sustainability uh, uh, for your family operation and the diversification that your family operation has. But when we look at sustainability, and really that's why we're we're, we're talking with two leading national organizations that uh, – truly go hand in hand uh, when it comes to, to feeding uh, feeding cattle, but feeding uh, the, the, the nation and the world and producing those high quality, uh, finishing those high quality cattle that we're known for here in the United States. But, you know, Troy, I'll start with you as a corn producer and a farmer. I know you, you mentioned you have wheat as well. What, what does sustainability mean to you? And, and maybe when did you first hear that term sustainability? And when did you start thinking, oh, I got to use this verbiage now in telling my story as well as a producer. I think the word sustainability came into my world more and more the last five, six years as I got involved with Colorado corn and the national corn growers. Um, You know, the way I look at it, you know, we all look at it with that three-legged stool, environmental, social, economic. But we do have to tell that story. You mentioned telling that story and Don and I had a chance to have dinner together at the national cattlemen's beef association down in Houston last year. Well, actually in August in Nashville as well. And your customers, the, the people that are buying beef, they want to know what that beef's being produced with, how it's being produced. And Don and I had that conversation. The ranchers can tell it to a certain point, but then we also have to, do our part where you're our customers and you're our partners in the cattle industry, the corn farmers, we have to be able to say, you know, we've reduced land erosion by 58% since 1980. And we've reduced what it takes to produce a bushel of corn by 41% since 1980 and what our goals are. And so we do have to work hand in hand to go forward and make sure that, you know, everybody knows what those, good practices are those those best management practices that not only the ranchers use but the for, the farmers use as well that uh you know uh, you mentioned i'm from south of you i grew up in yuma county colorado and i'm very proud that we're a, we're one of the largest corn growing counties in the nation but i'm also very proud that colorado is the fourth largest beef exporting state and when we see corn exported it's in the form of beef coming coming out of colorado it's our largest export in the state of Colorado across all sectors. So it is very important for us to be able to tell that story in the front range to our export. Uh, our number one market is up in Canada. So um, if it's important to the beef customer, it's important to us. And Donnie, same question. Uh, obviously, uh, you're very diversified as well from purebred genetics to, to, to buying your customers' calves and, and uh, feeding as well. What, what does sustainability mean to you as a producer, but also as president of NCBA? Well, you know, to a lot of people, they, they use this term sustainability and kick it around and they act like it's a new thing. Shoot, sustainability is how we've lived for generations in agriculture, right? So it's nothing new to any of us. If you look at a family operation like ours or many across this whole fruited plains, 
We've known what sustainability was for, for decades and centuries. What it is to me is it's making sure our families have the opportunity to continue on generation to generation while we get the environment, the ground that we makes our living, where we make it better and stronger and more able to uh, fulfill those needs of our family members. So to me, Lane, it's simple. We just we just do keep doing what we've been doing well. We try to make improvements as we learn more things about uh, technologies to make things better, but we keep rowing the boat in the direction we have, and that is to make our industry better for everybody. Well, and Don, when you bring up uh, improvements uh, to your operations, to, to growing crops, to, to finishing cattle, uh, Troy, I'll, I'll phrase this question first for you. Can, can you walk us through uh, that the impact, that improvement in corn sustainability uh, as a major feed input has had on the beef industry, in your opinion, uh, again, as, as the two, as a commodity and the livestock go together? As the two go together, you know, I'm going to go back a few years and we had a, a tough patch between the corn growers and, I mean, just corn producers and, and other entities when it came to ethanol. And it's not food versus fuel anymore. It's food and fuel. We've got to figure out, and we have figured out over the last few years, how do we get more out of that kernel? How do we break it down? How do we take, you know, if, if it's going into ethanol, how do we bring the distiller's grain back, make it a more palatable, make it a better feed? And same thing with the corn. Um, we've, that technology has been in there, but it does go hand in hand to where we, we have to, like I said earlier, tell our story. Don said, keep moving forward. That is very important in working together, having our staffs work together, it, not only in our states, but uh, in Washington, D.C., to make sure that there's good policies, whether it's changes that need to be made to current policies that are on the books or proposed policies. We have to have everybody viable on the cow-calf operation all the way back into the, the, um, the feedstock industry. And, you know, my cattle here in Colorado, you know, we put that kernel of corn in the ground and we harvest it in October, November. And my cows go out our, after we wean calves off and our cows are on those corn stalks, November, maybe late October, all the way to March. Some of my neighbors are putting cover crops in where they're not grazing that corn right away, those, that afterfeed, and they're putting a, a rye or a triticale in and they're running, they're calving on those corn stalks all the way to May kick cows out to green grass, go in and strip till, put corn back in. So it's a, it's a very, the technology is rolling forward very quickly and the practices are changing to where everybody can uh, adapt a little bit and maybe save some money and be more efficient and not have to buy high priced inputs. And Troy, how long do you think it took producers in your neck of the woods to, to look at uh, implementing those cropping systems a little bit differently to extend the use of that land by also having less impact on that land through double cropping and, and grazing those stocks? Um, you know, in eastern Colorado, we're a very dry, arid climate. Average rainfall is 17 inches a year. So for us, where we pump out of the Ogallala Aquifer, it just became necessary as we had fewer and fewer irrigation wells around here. Our, our hay fields were disappearing, the crops, we didn't have as many corn fields to, to graze, more of a dry land setting, and we're very sandy soil. So I think it came around very quickly in the last 10 years 
you know, the cover crops, it's still tough on dry land in our area for cover crops to work. However, if you go out into Iowa and Illinois, Indiana, it's very important to have those cover crops to where we're, re we're protecting the water buffers. You know, uh, one of the speakers down at National Cattlemen's last February, January, February, was from um, New York State, and he talked about the importance of protecting that watershed going into New York State, and it's no different than being on a corn farm. We've got to protect those water resources. Um, you know, Don mentioned sustainability and how generations have taken care of land. Uh, a friend of all of ours, Steve Wooten, Kim, Colorado, we were at a meeting one time and he goes, you don't become fifth generation in Kim, Colorado by not being sustainable and taking care of your land. And that summed it up very well that, um, you know, we're doing what we need to be doing and we're making our ground better for it. Well, speaking of Steve Wooten, he, uh, he was uh, really dancing to the dueling pianos uh, the other night at the Colorado <laughs> Cattlemen's Association banquet. Uh, I've never seen anyone slide across the floor like he did. And I'm not making that up. He was having a good old time. Uh, so you got to have a good old time to be sustainable, too. Uh, you know, come to town and uh, let your worries go a little bit. But, uh, Don, for yourself, uh, when we look at the, the improvements to, to growing crops like corn and sharing that sustainability story as, uh, with con consumers as well, uh, what's that uh, perspective from the NCBA level of talking about you know, sustainability in feed as well. Well, you know, what I would like to do is clear up this misnomer that should you feed corn to cattle, you become anti-sustainability, when really the truth is exactly 180. And that's kind of the image as we talk with the corn growers leadership and we began to develop this relationship. I said, we've got to get that message out, Lane. So if you look at what America does best, we do two things incredibly good in the beef industry. One is nobody is more efficient at getting product from birth to processing. The other thing we do is nobody produces a more palatable product. And if you look at kind of the crux of both of those two huge advantages of U.S. beef, corn comes to play in both of those. So if you look at what corn does just from an efficiency standpoint, when you're doing like our operation is doing, that is getting cattle processed and harvested at 13 months of age, wearing 1,350 pounds. Gosh, you talk about sustainability and you talk about lowering your carbon footprint substantially. Boy, corn is the attribute that allows us to do that. So I think uh, this idea of pushing away from corn and saying maybe more grass-fed beef is the way to go. You look at our carbon footprint and those of other countries, especially grass-fed areas, and you'll find out the U.S. cattle industry is really kicking our tails of those people from a sustainability environmental standpoint. And, Don, I know, I mean, there's many NCBA members that are grass-fed as well. And it's a great opportunity to, to market that product, to grow a product as well. But it's also important to have the right facts and science and information out there. And, and Troy, you know, a question that always gets asked is, why are you growing feed corn feed for cattle that when you could be growing a crop to feed, you know, uh, the, the global population. Um, I, 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 that's always brought up online and, and whatnot. I guess uh, 
Could you share maybe some examples of when you've been asked that and how you respond uh, to those those questions or interrogations almost? Well, like Don was saying, the, the misconceptions, the mislabeling, a lot of people look at those fields of corn and think sweet corn and edible corn. And it's one of those things that that wonderful animal that we have in, in, in a feedlot with those cattle, they can take that grass product that cause corn is a grass. They can take that corn product and turn it into something very palatable. Like Don said, a very good protein, a high quality protein that, you know, the world needs. And so, yeah, as we're, people will say, well, why do you raise corn for a feedstock? Well, in East Eastern Colorado, it means jobs. I mean, it, it's jobs for raising corn. It's jobs for producing cattle or for the cow-calf guy, raising the cow-calf and then going into the feedlots. You know, we have a, in our area, we're blessed, you know, whether it's Nebraska, Southwest Kansas, Colorado, dry climate for those feedlots to operate in. And then the corn product is here. So it's close. Uh, it works. And like I said, I, I couldn't be prouder to say I come from a, the fourth largest beef exporting state. And, you know, we support at NCGA, we support our, our waterways for our exports to get our product down to New Orleans. But I know my counterparts in Illinois and Iowa and Indiana, Ohio, they all look out here in Eastern Colorado, Western Kansas, Texas, Nebraska, and they know the importance of getting that corn fed to cattle and getting that product to market, whether it's a domestic market or whether it's an export market. And that is, um, you know, we're all tied back on the Chicago Board of Trade. You know, right now, it's great to see all of our commodity prices going up. We've all had high input prices, so we're we're covering our basis, but um, it's good to see everybody at one time having good commodity prices and not one one year and two years later. You know, I go back to 12 and 14. I can remember high corn prices and two years later, finally getting high, getting the getting that high tide in the cattle price or the calf price a few years later. So it's good to see it all at one time and moving forward. Now, Don, I know you're in charge of going to all those sale yards out across the nation and buying those one or two head at a time that you may have to get some drax into and, and work hard to, to finish it. Obviously, joking a little bit here, uh, but coming back to uh, genetic performance, that quality of beef when it's finished, your family is really focused on that, especially through uh, your purebred genetics, going out, working uh, with those buyers of your genetics, bringing them home and finishing them. Let's tie in that genetic side of sustainability and then tying that, that finishing product, uh, whether that be in corn or whatever they choose to finish it with. Uh, how does that science all work for you? And how do you share that message with consumers or people that just want to learn more about raising better cattle? Well, yeah, you know, genetics is starts and makes everything in the end, right? You can only make good out of what you start with. And so starting off with the right genomic uh, pool is incredibly important. And that's what we do as a family is we, we strongly believe that if you're going to get more efficient, and to me, efficiency still drives sustainability. 
So the more efficient, the more effective you can be at getting something in a, a smaller carbon footprint, the better off you are. And if you look at what we're able to do with genetics today and all the things we do with genomics, et cetera, who would have ever guessed what I said previously, that you could get animals at 13 months of age weighing 1350 plus being ready to market and grade a high percent prime. That's the combination of genetics and then putting the right resources like corn with them to kind of get the win-win. So I, I think we're in the driver's seat when you look at where we are heading, what we're doing, and in the end, we're winning the sustainability battle. And Troy, uh, as you grow these crops and also raise cattle, we've seen these the dramatic increase in fertilizer prices. I know they've pulled back a little bit, but it's just kind of like fuel prices. I saw it was down three cents today in town. Um, it, 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 it's still expensive. But when we tie in sustainability, you know, corn farmers who have cattle are in a unique position to foster some additional self-sufficiency. What are some of the benefits of, you know, utilizing cattle manure uh, in regards to on-farm soil health plans or, or just uh, actually using what's on the ground there, L- literally on the ground? <laughs> you know, uh, we we were very fortunate where I live. We have a feedlot about a mile away, a small feedlot that he'll let us come in and uh, the owner will let us pick the manure up and, and spread that. We have dairies close to us that farmers this year, it was uh, very competitive to get in, get that uh, spoken for and spread that to keep your costs down, put some of those natural fertilizer, natural nutrients back into the soil and get that spread out there. But, you know, with the in our neck of the woods, and I think it goes across everywhere, every region's a little different, but the diversification, you know, if, if you're raising cattle and you've got some crop ground, you can mix and match. Uh, right now, we've got a, a short well here, short irrigated well that uh, we put we put to use, instead of raising corn, we put it to use for irrigated grass for our cows, just because we can pull off at different times, let that grass rest, go to some native grass, come back to it. Um, it it's a, it's a, a plug and play type deal. And I think with livestock and crops going hand in hand, it's the same thing there. Uh, I mentioned earlier that, you know, some guys are calving out all the way into May and a week later they're putting their, their corn right back into that, fe- that field. It's just making more use of those products that we have on hand. Um, you know, maybe you interseed that corn stalk that after feed with a little rye or triticale and let it set there and in, in april when you're calving you've got excellent calving pasture and you don't have to buy as much feed and that's it all works hand in hand and you know some of the guys uh, when it, when you get back to the midwest uh, those cover crops just help the reduction the the erosion of the land where they're tilled and it ties it together it puts more biomass into the ground and and the soil's more productive. Troy, as we've seen innovation and technology advance uh, corn varieties, um, it's always interesting, especially up here in the northern part of the U.S. where I live, where we are seeing uh, corn planted on acres that uh, haven't been planted before. Um, Obviously, we have a pretty short growing season in Montana. First, uh, how long is your growing season in, in, in Colorado? We'll raise anywhere from a hundred day to 113 day corn. Um, so, you know, it's going in in late April, early May coming out 
October, maybe the beginning of November at the very latest. But Don mentioned, you know, the, the genetics in cattle and it's the same thing. You know, I think we're raising more, we're, we're raising more pounds of beef as a nation with fewer head of cows. It's the same thing with corn. We're raising more corn with less acres. Now, some of those acres are changing over from, you know, they were wheat acres, uh, dry land acres, like you said, maybe you ha didn't grow up watching corn be raised there, but the genetics now has changed that. Um, maybe there's some silage being taken off. Maybe it's ear leach. Maybe it's just yep, number two yellow corn um, and going to the feedlot. It, that genetics, that world has changed, you know, in the last 20, 25 years especially since 1980. If you look back to 1980, everything has changed as far as our, our pounds of beef that we're, hang, that we're producing with the number of animals we have. And with corn, you know, um, we're happy. We're proud of those numbers, you know, 41% both in land reduction, you know, that it takes to make a bushel of corn. But we also want to look for, you know, by 2030, we want to improve that by another 12%. And these numbers are now a couple of years old, our goals that we have. So 2030 is very quickly approaching, but we need to move forward on it. And I think we're going to get there. Uh, you know, we want soil erosion reduced by another 13%. So 58 from 1980 and you take that, that's huge. I mean, we're almost, we're not full circle on it, but, and I think the same can be said with the livestock industry, with, with our cattle, you know, that grass is, being taken care of better. It's better taken care of, better managed than it ever has. And everybody knows, like Don said, that's our, that's our, our bread and butter. That's where we make our money and we pass that 401k on to the next generation. Now, Don, obviously having a coalition uh, to, to voice uh, uh, their concerns on government policy, on, on legislation, uh, it's important when you have two groups like the National Corn Growers and NCBA come together to advocate and educate and, and show the science behind it. How really did NCBA and uh, National Corn Growers uh, come together to, to really uh, shine a light on all the sustainability, all the work that goes into this. And, and in many cases, uh, people are members of both organizations. And I'm sure there's some elected officials that couldn't believe that somebody raises corn and, and beef. Yeah, and I'm a proud member of the National Corn Growers Association. So right here in central Minnesota, we know exactly how important it is. And the kind of our goal here, Lane, is we want to walk all of our corn to town. So we're from that kind of area that says, you know what? The way to get the most out of corn is to put them into an animal and then add that value and a higher value protein. And it, when you say the coming together, you know, we've all kind of been the same people all along. We've differed on an issue or two, but in the end, it's a people business. And when you get down to where you're just 2% of the agriculture world are uh, producers, Boy, if you don't start making alliances and figuring out how you guys can work together and beginning to streamlining messages to make sure that when we're speaking, we're speaking as one voice out there, boy, it becomes paramount when you're a 2% population versus not that many years ago having more of a majority population. So it just I think it's just smart business. And again, it's a people business. We happen to cross paths. And as we started talking between the leaders of both groups, you know what we figured out, Lane? is we have a lot in common that we should be promoting. And corn with cattle makes all the sense in the world. Instead of running away from it, 
what we're trying to do here is embrace it and show people that it really is a positive combination and working together is probably the way we get more sustainable in the future. And also, Troy, as chair of the market development action team, uh, NCBA and NCGA saw an opportunity to, to really collaborate uh, through the Cattlemen's Education Series. Well, let's talk about that series and just the opportunity to partner more uh, with NCBA and its members that, like me, that don't go, grow corn. Uh, well, why was that important uh, for the uh, market development team to, to look at those opportunities to, to help uh, to help push more education for cattle producers? Well, and NCBA deserves a lot of credit. They, NCBA, I would say, is one of the leaders when it comes to organizations coming to NCGA with ideas. Hey, we, we'd like to fund different things, but they actually bring us proposals of, okay, we'd like you to fund this. This is how we, we'd like to see it work. Uh, an excellent example of that is the two episodes of Cattlemen to Cattlemen the last years that we've been a part of. Episode three is coming up, and it's it's just a great way for both organizations to team up, to share information. Like I said earlier, your customers are our customers. You know, when you're buying corn from us, yeah, you're a customer, but you're also our partner. And Don made a very good point that, yes, at 2%, we didn't come together. It's just, it's been spotlighted more that there's not many of us left. And so we, Don made the comment, he's a NCJ member. I'm a proud NCBA member. I was late to the party. It's only been in the last couple of years. So um, I apologize for that, but I am proud that when, uh, when I go down to New Orleans next year, um, it, it is fun to go down to Cattleman, Cattleman's convention down there, but we have to work together we work with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We work with the U.S. Beef, uh, the sustainable, the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. Uh, we do a learning lounge at NCBA. Last year, we had a chance to, you know, um, John Linder, myself, Sarah McKay, we we were able to stand up there and present to NCBA at the uh, at the at the NCBA trade show, and so. It is very important to work together, but it's also, we have to be very appreciative of both of our staffs at NCBA and NCGA to work. They're the ones, I think, as much as anybody, our staffs, our staff really on both sides understand how important it is to come together, tell our stories, to make sure we're at each other's meetings and go forward. And so with that, uh, you know, we've got the the education series and if any state wants to be a part of it or put something on you know or if there's a chapter you know a county that wants to put something together you talk to your state if your state doesn't know talk to ncba and they can get you contact information and, and lead the way as to how to put this together on the education series Troy, can you maybe walk us through what uh, some of those modules look like for the education series? What what a person can expect to learn from the the ver various different topics that 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 uh, will be in the curriculum? I think it's it's based largely on what each state wants to do. Um, you know, there is different aspects. You know, as to what's going in. You know, we will have our our goals and what we've done in the past and sustainability and and what we're going forward on. But I think each one's a little different. I don't know if there's a, a specific module I could touch on, but 
I think it's uh, based on what each state's needs are. And I think that's the one thing NCGA is very proud of. We can, you know, the needs from Georgia to Montana, from New York to New Mexico are all different. And so uh, a lot of them are the same, but they each have their own variation to it. And again, when you have uh, those uh, important components uh, put together and with the education series, uh, just reach out to your state affiliate or directly to NCBA on how uh, they can bring the education series uh, to uh, your home state as well. And uh, Don, uh, the upcoming convention uh, down in New Orleans, uh, what, what, what's kind of in store in terms of the relationship uh, with the corn growers in the education series? Will we see some of uh, these de- demonstrations again uh, down on the trade show floor or through uh, some of the other workshops offered? Yeah, we plan to be down on the trade show again with them and hopefully there's a integration between both NCBA and corn grower staff. Hopefully we can make schedules work so they can show that this truly is a partnership between the two and maybe even make so there can be some interaction where people can just flag some questions on what sustainability should look like and what we need to be doing. So to me, the more interactive we can get with NCBA membership down in the trade show, the better off we'll be. And I know corn growers agrees with us on that stance as well. Well, as someone that would be interested, like I said, we, we don't have a lot of corn unless you're really on a, on a pivot or along the Yellowstone River. Uh, there's not a lot of corn up in our neck of the woods. And more of it is being put in, but you need the water up, up in our neck of the woods, as too many of the corn acres. But uh, I find it fascinating just to learn more about those cover crop options. Uh, you know, we, we, we touched on it uh, went back in the day when I went to college and, and uh, you know, you do those overviews, but we're so used to having a, one hay crop on the dry land and, and, and driving by those beet and, and uh, corn and in the few hundred soybean acres we have in Montana. I, I think that's what is most interesting, just trying to improve our operations. And as we touched on earlier, sustainability and as more people uh, like to use throughout the term carbon, carbon credits, carbon sequestration, uh, that's probably also going to be discussed in these series as well, just because so many people in those big companies, they're, they're, they're talking about carbon. And again, I'm not trying to make this all about carbon credits or carbon sequestration, but this is a part of that dialogue that we have to have with consumers. Am I correct in saying that, gentlemen? Yeah, Lane, one thing I would make sure people understand is sometimes doing the right thing gets you the right way. And when you look at everything we're doing as far as going towards sustainability, whether it's managing our lands more effectively, gosh, we're doing the right things while getting the right answers for the consumer. And boy, when you can partner with those two things, doing the right thing and making the consumer happy, boy, it's win-win right along. And I want to also point out to many cattlemen who are listening to this series that may see sustainability as a red letter word. I want them to understand that up until just a few years ago, the environmentalists were attacking the cow and making the cow the evil environmental animal when what we need to do is flip that script and i think as you look at what we're doing here today that's why we've engaged with sustainability in the topic so the true answers come to light people understand that sustainability isn't a topic that was created last week by environmentalists we've lived it for decades and i think that's a big take-home message lane that we need to get across to our cow calf producers i couldn't agree with you more donna as producers and as advocates for agriculture, sometimes we don't feel like we're getting anywhere. 
sometimes we feel like we're not moving that needle, but we have to step back and we have to look at it and producers have to look at it. And you're exactly right. We were, I was at a meeting not that many days ago and they talked about methane emissions and, and, and greenhouse gas emissions. And they had a cute little caricature of a cow and a green tractor. You know, it wasn't, they didn't have the word agriculture up, up there, but you knew what they were talking about. And it's just like, okay, our, what are we getting penalized here for? There's so many things that get, that are based on information before 1980, 20 years ago, whatever you want to call it, that the wheels have turned so fast and we have to, you know, I try and in every interview tell the youth out there that, that are listening. So any, any of the young people that are going off to college, if you don't feel like you're able to go back home to your family farm or ranch and you don't have a place in agriculture, no, you do. We need you at NCBA. We need you at NCGA. We need you in media to tell our story, to be in Washington, D.C., to be in state capitals, to get that story out because somebody had to do it before we got here and it's going to go on. And so that I try and do that in every interview that, you know, go to work for USMEF. Um, it's a great opportunity to see the world and to help agriculture move forward. Very, very true. And, and gentlemen, I, I would encourage all of our listeners uh, for more of a visual on this. Uh, of course, uh, Cattlemen to Cattlemen on TV and, of course, YouTube. You can go back and watch every single episode of Cattlemen to Cattlemen. You can learn more about the relationship and the education series uh, uh, with National Corn Growers Association and, and NCBA. Um uh, any last thoughts or comments? I know it's a busy day and uh, the sun's shining out here, and I know I need to get some stuff done outside. But any last thoughts or comments uh, before we wrap up here today? Troy, Troy, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor first. Well, I just want to thank NCBA for the time to and the invitation to come in and talk to the cattle producers uh, with NCBA here. It is a very important relationship that we have. Um, Don made the comment, you know, yep, that we're less than 2%. We need to work together. We have to work together. And with some wonderful staff members we both have and great leadership, I think we can move forward. We can tell our story. Uh, things that benefit corn farmers benefit the cow-calf operation. Um, you know, and I, I have a tough time deciphering myself on that. I grew up in a corn farm. My wife grew up in a cow-calf operation, so we're a, we're a hybrid um and yeah it, it is a beautiful day out there and as you know the corn farmers national corn will be at going to commodity not commodity classic but corn congress in the middle of july and we're going to be talking to legislatures legislators on the importance of what's coming forward on the next farm bill you know what needs to be what things need to be changed especially in waters of the u.s um and we not only want to tell our story at, for corn, but we need to be able to tell our story for our, for our partners over on the cattle industry as well. And, and I know Don feels the same way. What's good for one is good for the other. Don? Yeah, Troy, I just want to thank the corn growers. I mean, this relationship we're building is getting stronger and stronger every year. And I think it's just boiled down to common sense is beginning to prevail. You know, corn go with cattle, 
like a hand goes in a glove, right? It's just, it's, there are two things that are very compatible. And the more these two organizations can work together, the better off our entire agricultural business will be. And Troy, if you would just say uh, thank you to the entire leadership, certainly enjoy working with you all. Well, sentiments, uh, very same over here. And I look forward to being down in New Orleans and attending NCBA down there this, this January into February. Well, again, uh, for our listeners out there, if you're interested in the Cattlemen's Education Series and, and how your state affiliate uh, and NCBA and, and National Corn Growers Association can, can come to your state and provide you a, a really detailed, uh, specifically to your growing region, opportunities to, to just uh, become more sustainable when it comes to feed crop rotation, soil health, and uh, improving uh, your, your beef genetics and quality along the way, uh, uh, contact NCBA. Visit them online. Uh, search uh, for the Cattlemen's Education Series as well, and it'll just be a great opportunity for all of us to work together and tell our story. It, it's labeled as sustainability now. We don't know what that term will be in, in a few years, but uh, uh, we, what, what we can say is uh, when, when we're profitable, both successful out in the countryside and raising good cattle, raising good crops, and keeping our family operations going, uh, that, that's, that's profitable. And uh, sustainability uh, is, is profitable both in those terms as well. So, gentlemen, I would just like to thank you for joining us here on the Cattleman's Call podcast. Thank you. Thank you. That will do it for today. I'm Lane Nordlund. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.